We're going to be looking at verses 13 and 14. Let me just read verses 13 and 14 of Ephesians chapter 1. It says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. The Christian life is the most blessed, the most happy, the most joyful life that a human being can know. In fact, there is no life really apart from Christ. Apart from Christ, life is kind of a living death or it's a a dead life. Because Christ Himself is life. And when we come to know Christ, or as you heard in this story, when He comes after us and captures us, because that's how it works, then we come to know what life truly means. Not because we're smarter than anybody else, but simply because God has got us in His hand and He's showing us what life really is. That's what we've been studying in this first section of Ephesians. For those of you who are with us here uh, for the first time, we're studying through the book of Ephesians. And we're coming to the end of the first section today, which is verses 3 to 14. And we've been looking at the blessings we have in Christ. In fact, if you take out your sermon notes, this is this little insert in your bulletin. It says in Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 on the front. Just a quick review of the blessings that we, some of the blessings we have in Christ, not even all of them. That in Christ we have been freely predestined. That in Christ we are holy and blameless. Even though I know I am a sinner, God views me as a saint. That I am a saint before God, forgiven through Christ. Number three, I've been adopted as child, as His child. Number four, I've been redeemed or set free through His blood. Number five, there's been mystery revealed to us. We've understood now God's plan for our lives and for the universe. Number six, we studied this last week. We've been chosen as God's special inheritance. And then today, number seven, the final gift we want to study from this section is that if you are in Christ, you have been given... Look at verses 13 and 14 again. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you are marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. You know, we Baptists don't talk about the Holy Spirit much. Maybe you've heard of the Baptist Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Scriptures. Um, we, we, we're a little weak on the Spirit, traditionally, as, as Baptists go. And uh, I don't know about you, I, I'm not satisfied with that. Um, the problem, though, is, is if you don't fully buy into, or, or if you're not quite satisfied with sort of the, uh, the, the way that Holy Spirit is often underplayed in the Baptist tradition, the only other choice for you, really, within evangelical circles, is to embrace a Pentecostal or charismatic understanding of the Holy Spirit. But that has problems too. Because just as Baptists tend to downplay the Holy Spirit, I I find too often in charismatic circles the Holy Spirit is overplayed. So so that there's an overemphasis on my feelings, my intuitions, my impressions, trying to find God through what I'm feeling on the inside. So there's no objective point of reference. Too often in Pentecostal and charismatic circles, the day of Pentecost overshadows Calvary. And so, what do we do? What is the Holy Spirit? How do we know about the Holy Spirit? It's not just a confusion in the church, it's also a confusion in the culture. I was driving home, uh, or driving, actually driving to church, I just dropped my son off at preschool, and as I was coming back, I was listening to one of those morning radio shows, and they had a psychic on. I don't know why, I'm always a sucker for, you know, 
listening to what the, the latest psychic has to say. I was like, oh, you know, what, what is this one? And, and I, I guess I just missed it. She'd just given a reading to the various DJs on the show. And they're like, wow, that's so amazing, wow. And, and she says, look, you have to write this down because you've just had an encounter with the Spirit. And, and so, you know, the Spirit has moved. And so you need to remember this. And so I have a feeling that if I were to be preaching this morning about the Holy Spirit and that psychic were in the audience, I don't know, is she here? Okay, good, I'm saying. And if that psychic was here in the audience, um, uh, besides knowing how I was going to end the sermon probably, uh, you know, probably she'd be going, uh, just kidding, she'd be going, you know, oh yeah, the Spirit, mm, that's right, Pastor, talk about the Spirit. And as I talked about the Holy Spirit, she'd probably be going, mm-hmm, right. But you see, I'm talking about something completely different than the psychic understanding of the Spirit. So you have to really think, you know, when people use these phrases like spiritual or the Spirit, you know, like, what do people really mean? What are they really talking about? So you have to be discerning when you hear these phrases. And so what I want, what the Holy Spirit is, I'm, I'm a dissatisfied Baptist. I want to know more about the Holy Spirit. But I'm not quite satisfied with the charismatic understanding fully, though I'm not anti that. What I want to know is I want to know from God's Word who the Spirit is and how the Spirit works in my life. And so my mission uh, is not only to preach through Ephesians, but I have a, a submission, which is to, to understand the Holy Spirit better and to know what the Bible has to say about who the Spirit is. And so today we come to this text, verse 13, and we see that it's really critical that we understand the Holy Spirit because you cannot be a Christian if you lack the Holy Spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit, you are a Christian. They go together. So it's more than just knowing the facts. It's, I really need to understand this. Look at verse 13. Having believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. The first thing we see is that you receive the Holy Spirit when? When you believe. Having believed, you were marked in Him with the Holy Spirit, who is that God had promised from the Old Testament times. It's when we believe. This is the teaching of Paul and throughout the New Testament that we receive the Holy Spirit at the time we come to faith in Jesus Christ. If you look uh, at your sermon notes again on the front, here's some other uh, quotes from Paul. Romans chapter 8, verse 9. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. So to have the Holy Spirit and to belong to Jesus are synonymous in Paul's thinking. Or look at this next one. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts. And though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were, and these are my italics here, all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink. So we were all baptized in Christ. Have you been baptized by the Holy Spirit? The, the question is, I don't know, are you a believer? If you're a believer, the answer is yes. You have been baptized with God's Holy Spirit. Or finally, Galatians 3.2. I would like to learn one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? See, the, the Galatians were under this idea that they had to do works, you know, like Eric was talking about, in order to be blessed by God. But I'm telling you, there's no ritual you can do to receive the Holy Spirit. Being baptized as an infant doesn't give you the Holy Spirit. Being baptized as an adult doesn't give you the Holy Spirit. You can't uh, 
do any mantras or yoga to get the Holy Spirit. There's no amount of good works you can do to receive the Holy Spirit. If you want the Holy Spirit, there's one thing you have to do. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in Him as your Savior. And in fact, even as you are doing that, the reality is the Holy Spirit is doing it in you. So that receiving Him is, is acknowledging that He's already starting to work to bring you faith in Jesus Christ. We come to receive the Holy Spirit through faith. And, and so that helps us to, to sort of gauge a little bit our thinking about the Holy Spirit. One of the errors of Pentecostalism is this idea that the receiving of the Holy Spirit is something that happens later on in your Christian journey. That you become a Christian, and that's good, but what you need is the second experience of the Spirit. And this is unbiblical. Now, are there additional or fuller manifestations of the Spirit in our life? Of course there are. We grow and we blossom. But the fact is, you have been baptized, you receive the Holy Spirit at the time when you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It also helps us in dealing with, with the psychic uh, kind of understanding, if, if we were to have our psychic friend here. Um, you know, when this person is talking about the Spirit, I suspect, I don't know for sure, but I suspect that she was operating out of more of a, a New Age or Eastern, uh, very generally speaking Eastern, because Eastern has as many nuances as Christianity, but, but an Eastern understanding of the Spirit. This idea that, um, okay, you're sitting there and I'm standing here, and you think we're different people, but the reality is there is an underlying unity to all things. That there's a spiritual oneness. There's a, a monism. So that, you know, really you're one and I'm one, and this is an illusion that we see here. And so in, in more Eastern thought, typically the goal is not to be saved from sin, but to be enlightened from ignorance. So that as we come to enlightenment and realize that we're all one by one spirit, that there's one energy, um, bliss, we, we come to a true place of peace and understanding. But when the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, it's not talking about an energy field or, or a, a God that is within all of us. It's talking about something different from us. In other words, you don't have the Holy Spirit until you come to Christ. We are not all one. <laughs> we are unique creations that God has made. God has made you. God has made me. And when the Holy Spirit comes and lives in me through faith in Christ, I don't become God. I don't sort of you know, fuse into the Spirit and God into me. We're st I'm still me and God's still God, but God's just living in me. The, the image that the Bible uses is of a temple. That I'm the temple, and God's inhabiting the temple, and He's in my life, but He's not me and I'm not Him, but we're, we're connected, we're, we're in a relationship with one another, which is a different kind of picture. So all that is to say, can you believe it? God lives in you. That God, the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, has come to live inside my heart when I put my faith in Jesus Christ. I didn't even know it was happening, really. But God was there, and God is changing me. That the same Holy Spirit that was hovering over the waters of creation in Genesis 1 is now hovering over me and doing a new creation in my life. That the same Holy Spirit that burned in fire on Mount Sinai is now burning in my heart, that God is dwelling in me. It's astounding. So what does that mean, practically speaking, that God now dwells inside of me through faith in Christ? Well, Paul gives us two applications. Having believed, you are marked in Him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. If you look on page two of the sermon notes, 
It says uh, there in the middle, the presence of the Holy Spirit in us means two things. Number one, it seals us as God's possession now, and it guarantees our inheritance in the future. So first of all, it seals us. You know, in the ancient world, um, people carried seals. That was their individual uh, identification. They didn't sign documents. They, they sealed documents. And so you had a ring that would have an inscription or some kind of engraving on it. Or uh, and often uh, they carried a cylinder seal is what it was called. It was a small cylinder, you know, about yay big and maybe a couple inches around. And it would have engravings around it with a hole in the middle. And what you do is you'd put a string through something like that carried on your belt. And then when you had to do some kind of legal transaction, you take the cylinder seal and, and you would roll it, you know, until you'd have like soft clay or something and you'd sort of roll your cylinder across it. So as it rolled, it would unroll the inscription. And so that's how you signed your name. That's how you committed yourself to a document or a sales of purchase. You used your seal. It, it indicated your authority. So when we see the seal here, the idea is that of possession and ownership. Seals did a lot of things. One thing they did was showed ownership. We see that especially in verse 14. The Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So the Holy Spirit identifies us as belonging to God. It's as if God's taken the Holy Spirit's seal and just rolled Him across our hearts so that God's imprint is on us. You know, when I was studying this, I thought of like in the Old West when they used to brand cows. You know, the, uh, you know, it's a pleasant thought, huh? <laughs> you know, the cowboys would be sitting around and stoking a fire, and they have their irons in the fire. And it came time, the iron got good and hot, and they go to their cows and have them come through, and, and they'd brand them, and, and they'd burn a mark onto the side of the cow. So that down the road, if, if the cow wandered off and got in someone else's uh, range or got mixed up with their cows, and the, the rancher said, hey, that's my cow. No, it's not. Look, that's my mark. Oh, you're right, that's your cow. And that's how they knew that who one another's cows were. And if someone rustled their cows and they found them later, they'd say, aha, this is my cow. And so in a sense, through the Holy Spirit, God has taken the white-hot purity of the Spirit and branded us so that I now bear forever the mark of God's possession. Or it's kind of like my uh, daughter in kindergarten. We've written her name on everything. Her name's on her jacket. Her name's on her lunch bag. Her name is on... Everything she owns, because you know they get to kindergarten and it's just, you know, and everything gets mixed up and they trade things and they trade jackets. and So you need to know whose is what. And so in a sense, God has taken us and He's written His name on us so that He knows we belong to Him. To have the Holy Spirit means that God owns me. He's branded me. He's sealed me. He's inscribed His name upon me. And, and I am owned by Him. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is not only... Marks us as belonging to God, but he's also a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. So he seals us now and he guarantees that in the future, heaven is our home. You know, like Eric was saying, uh, if someone had asked him, Are you, a Christ Are you going to heaven? And, and he said, Well, I hope so. But now, as Christians, we don't have to say, I hope so. We say, I have a deposit. And we all know what a deposit is. Uh, you go and decide to buy a 48-inch flat-panel plasma HD TV, and uh, you need to put down a deposit. And so you go and you you put down some earnest money, and it's your way of telling Best Buy or or whatever it is that you're going to come back with the rest of the money. Except what's interesting here is that we're not paying God; 
God is paying us. Isn't that cool? That it's not us who are giving something to God. God's giving us something. God's saying, look, here's the Holy Spirit, and this is a promise that the rest of eternal life is coming to you. In fact, it's not just that the Holy Spirit is a down payment of what's to come. It's actually a little piece of what's to come. That the Holy Spirit is a little experience of heaven on this side of heaven. That to have the Holy Spirit in our life is to experience the blessings of what's to come. It's, it's, it's a taste of that future glory, not just a deposit of it. Do you remember when the Israelites were going into the Promised Land? Moses led them out of Egypt and through the desert. And then they came to the edge of the Promised Land. They said, let's send in some spies. The spies went in and checked it out and looked around. The spies came back to tell what the Promised Land was like. But they also brought with them uh, fruit. They brought grapes and produce that they had, I don't know, bought or pilfered from the land. And, and so people could see and eat and taste some of the fruit from the land where they were going. In a sense, that's what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is, is a, like grapes from heaven. It, it's, it's a taste of what's about to come to us. When we experience the joy of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we, we are actually hearing a few notes of the music that is playing in heaven when we uh, feel the love of God in our hearts and, and feel love to one another through the Holy Spirit, when that love is flaming up in our hearts, that's actually like a, a cinder from the altar of God's fire in heaven. And when I, I'm reading the Bible and something jumps out at me and it suddenly makes sense, you know, like Eric was talking, I keep going, referring to him, that was just such a great story, and, and he was talking about how, oh, it suddenly started clicking for him. It's like a ray from God's face shone on his heart. And it's an experience of heaven. The Holy Spirit in our lives is a foretaste of heaven. It is a deposit. It is a piece of heaven on this side of heaven. So we as Christians have the Holy Spirit. Uh, it marks us as God's, and it's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. But if that's not only true from God's perspective, it's also true from our perspective. In other words, it's not just that the Holy Spirit reminds God who's whose. And it's not just that the Holy Spirit reminds God that He owes us something. But the Holy Spirit also reminds us that we belong to God and that God is going to give us our inheritance. There's a, an experiential dimension of the Holy Spirit, and I think this is the part that, that often we Baptists don't talk about as much, but I think is, is just as real, and it's in the Scriptures, that we are experiencing the fact that we belong to God. I'd like you to uh, flip over to one other book of the New Testament, the book of Romans, chapter 8. Romans, chapter 8. If you're using a pew Bible, not familiar with where Romans is, it's on page 1118, just a few books ahead or before this. Romans 8, and we'll look at verse 15. Romans 8 is a great chapter on the Holy Spirit. It's, the whole thing's there. Read that. Uh, but Romans 8:15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Remember, Abba is an Aramaic word for daddy. Uh, it's like a little baby. Abba, Abba. Abba is the name for father in Aramaic, so it's like Abba, 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 Abba. Dad, 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 dad. It's like baby talk. You know, we say, Abba, God is my daddy. In verse 16, this is the key verse, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. How do I know that I'm really a Christian? 
And part of the answer to that question is, well, you should just kind of know. There should be something in you that tells you that you're a Christian. There should be some kind of internal witness. Now, you need to go on more than that because it's easy to trick ourselves. We're easily deceived by our own intuitions. Uh, we, we should always be skeptical of things we're experiencing and test them. Uh, if a person says, well, I don't believe in Jesus, but, but I know that I'm one of God's, well, you know, that, that's, that's confusion. But if I am in Christ, and I know I've trusted in Christ, I should expect to some degree or another to have an internal witness to just kind of know that I belong to God. And so that's something you should search out. Maybe you're wrestling with, am I a Christian? You know, what is a Christian? Well, you know, ask God for that. God, have you spoken to me and told me that I'm yours? And that sort of, you know, and here we're going into the realm of the mysterious and the experiential, but that's part of the Christian life. There's an experiential dimension to it that's kind of tough to put your hands around and it sort of slips through your fingers, but it's just as real. That God confirms to my heart that I am His child. That is so important because Christians go through the same garish times in their lives. Christians have bullish times in their lives. Christians have relationships that blow up in their face. Christians have debilitating long-term illnesses. Christians get uh, hoodwinked by crooks. Christians lose their jobs. Christians struggle with sin. We go through the same trials as everybody else. And there's a danger that when we're going through those trials to start thinking, well, maybe I'm going through this trial because God's rejected me. Loves that one. Well, you know, you're probably going through this because you've blown it. In fact, you remember that sin, that, that bad thing you did 20 years ago? It's finally caught up to you. God's rejecting you. God is leaving you. And if I gauge my uh, relationship to God by the out, external circumstances around me, then I'm going to be just driven down in despair in those times of struggle in my life. And so that's why I need to know from the Holy Spirit, from the inside, that I am His. That He is mine. Not by the external circumstances. You cannot judge anybody's spiritual condition by external circumstances. God has allowed many profane, godless men to die rich, happy, and successful. And God has taken many Christians through the fires of affliction in their life. The reality is, is Christ in our lives or not through His Holy Spirit? And so we have to search that out. And you say, okay, all right, so practically speaking, how does that happen? How do I get the witness of the Spirit? How do you listen to the Spirit? You know, what is that? Is that like meditation? You know, what, what is it? Well, this is how you know the Holy Spirit. This is how you can listen to Him. First of all, you pray. You ask God. You say, God, speak to me. God, I want to hear your voice. And then, as you're praying, you open the Bible. And you ask God to speak to you from His Word. Do you remember what the Bible's called in the book of Ephesians? The sword of the Spirit. They go together. And so when that despair comes in, you have to pull out your sword and fight back. And you fight back by studying God's Word. And it's through His Word and His Spirit working together that God speaks to our hearts and confirms to us that we are His children. That's how we make it. We have to dig into God's Word and find our identity there. If you are in Christ, if you have put your faith in Him, by grace, not because we deserve anything or because we're better or something, by grace alone, God has given us the Holy Spirit. That Spirit is in our lives. That Spirit seals us as God's children. It marks us as God's possession. And it's a guarantee that heaven is coming. 
And we experienced that. And it's a couple of months ago, some of you know, we had our third child. And it was a great experience, as always, uh, at least for me anyway. Um, and, we, you know, no, we're, we're great to ha- glad to have her. She's starting to sleep through the night now, so I'm, I'm getting a little bit of my sanity back. But uh, I remember when she was first born, they took her off the birthing table, put her on one of those little warmer things, cleaned her up, and one of the very first things they did was they put a little band on her ankle. And it's kind of like a little zip tie thing, you know, and you can't get it off without cutting it off. It's on there permanently unless you cut it. And it had a little white plastic chip thing. It's kind of like in the, uh, I don't know if you go to a store and they they put those little things on clothes so that if you walk out the doors with them, it goes beep, beep, beep. She had one on her ankles, baby Lojack or something. I don't know. But if you, and and at the doors to the nursery, they had those things. So if I were someone to try to take her and walk through that with that chip on it, beep, beep, beep. Um, so it's, it's a protective thing. But that little band not only has a protective chip, the other thing it had on her was a number. It had a, a, about a five or six digit number. And then they came after they put that on the baby and they came over to me. They put one on me. And they went over to Jennifer. They put one on Jennifer. And we had the same number on ours. So the way it works is if, if you want to get your baby from the nursery there in the maternity ward, is you go down to the nurse and you say, I'd like to see my baby. That's my baby right there. And the nurse goes over and gets the baby's little band. She says, okay, read your number. So I go, I read off my number. And she goes, okay, it's a match. Here's your baby. And if I hadn't been able to read that number, I couldn't get my baby. And that's how it is with us in Christ. That we have been born again. We have come to a new life in Christ. And at the moment of your new birth, you've been marked with the Holy Spirit. Not sometime later, when you were born in Christ, God put that on you. The Holy Spirit is in you, and the Holy Spirit is in God, and it guarantees that you are His and He is yours, no matter how you feel about it. I kind of wonder what babies feel like in the nursery in those little plastic things. You know, they're confused, and they're crying, and they're screaming. And it's how we feel. You know, what's going on? What am I doing out here? I mean, I was all warm and cozy in there, and now I'm in this place where all these lights, where these people pricking me with needles. You know, you wonder what a newborn feels. But the fact is, regardless of how we feel, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. God's identifying badge is on me. But it not only seals me and shows that I belong to God, it is also a guarantee very soon God is going to take me home with him. Let's pray. Is God calling you to put your faith in Jesus Christ? If so, I'd invite you just to pray a very simple prayer from your heart. I'm just going to pray a few words and I just invite you to repeat them and repeat them back to God and make them your own prayer. And I, I would just invite you to pray this simple prayer. God, I confess that I am a sinner. And God, I confess that I cannot save myself by my own efforts. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He died on the cross for me. Lord, forgive my sins through Christ and seal me with the Holy Spirit.
And now, Lord, I pray for all of us that we might know your Spirit more and more. I pray, Lord, that even we Baptists would know the joy of walking in the Spirit, that we might ground all of our understanding of the Spirit in your Scriptures. Lord, even more than that, I pray that you might give every believer here a deeper, stronger, brighter witness of your Spirit in their life, that they might know, they might know as they know, that they belong to you. And that, Lord, if there's anyone here who's going through trials, that you would sustain them with the presence of the Spirit, that, God, you would be with them. Lord, work in our hearts so that we might trust you more. We ask this in the name of Christ and all God's people said, Amen.